Second Twins reference in a week, guys and gals. Inspired by How to Die in the West, what's a comedy that you're surprised slash embarrassed to admit you find funny? I'm Katie Rich, and I saw Dance Flick for some reason, and I would like to say that I was just predicting the rise of Damon Wayans Jr. by laughing way too much. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. Basically all of Ace Ventura 2 When Nature Calls. For some reason, that movie was or is on my wavelength. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going with Adam Sandler's R-rated That's My Boy, which I just remember cackling at all the way through, possibly because I was drunk. Definitely not because Andy Samberg's character is named Han Solo. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Sasha Baron Cohen's The Dictator, which I'm not ashamed to think is hilarious in the slightest. I've just been looking for an opportunity to remind everyone The Dictator is hilarious, and now I've found it. It is so awful. It's so funny. It's so bad. It's so funny. That scene where he sticks his hands into Catherine Hans. uh, Oh, no. The scene where he's, like, walking in the beginning and, like, everyone who has wronged him in the slightest way is getting killed. And there's, like, a cow that walks in front of him or something and he, like, makes the... Oh, it's funny. It's very, very funny. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 24 for Tuesday, May 27th, 2014. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, I, I just personally recalled an ancient episode of the now fossilized podcast we can't name, um, where we... We can uh, name it. I, it's more fun if we don't. Um, <laughs> about we, we discussed trying to find new music and how tough that was these days, possibly because of the disappearance of radio, which hit me hard. Um, but I often find myself, I'm like going on Pitchfork and wanting to read reviews of new music, but there's so many music reviews that I can't, I only read stuff that I'm already interested in or that I'm anticipating and I want to know more. Um, so lately I've been going on Spotify and just listening to the new releases and just seeing what's up. Uh, but I thought, the, I, I always think the best way to get recommendations for new music are getting actual recommendations for new music from people I know. So I turned it to you what? guys. To try and uh, yeah, I know it's revelatory. Who who would have thought? Uh, I, I turn it to you guys. I wanted I asked you before this podcast to pick two albums from 2014, which is a very limited amount of time uh, that you would recommend to our listeners. So let's go around in a circle and give our two. Katie, I'm picking you first. Oh my god, um, I don't listen to a ton of new music, and when I do listen to it, I tend not to even pay attention to what I'm listening to and wow. listen to albums from 2006 mostly. I know I'm from, a monster. From 2006, but... like in particular, mm-hmm. that's your. That was 2006 your being the year I graduated college is kind of where my you know in some ways my brain froze. But at the same time, I am married to someone who's very into music, so I need to just pay more attention to what he tells me to listen to. But these are two albums that I came to on my own. First of which is predictably Dolly Parton's new album, what? which is actually pretty. <laughs> it's a solid album, even if like, I mean, Dolly like, would change Dolly you. Has, I know it did change me, obviously for the better. Um, it has a couple things to recommend it, which is that there are, I mean, there are some cheesy songs. There's a duet with Kenny Rogers on there that sound like classic Dolly Parton. That if you don't like her, you don't want, you won't like that, and that's fine. But the oh, the title song is called Blue Smoke, and it's got kind of this like bluesy 
you know, more old fashioned stripped down aesthetic than you might expect from her. And she has a great cover of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. So if you like Bob Dylan covers. Dolly Parton, the best Dolly Parton song ever is the slowed down version of Jolene. Of Jolene. Where she sounds like Anthony Haggerty. And uh, it's better than anything that she does at normal speed. What's the name of the album? Blue Smoke. The title track is Blue Smoke. The album is called Blue Smoke. Uh, It's on Spotify. I just looked it up right now and I enjoyed it. Uh, The other one, also on Spotify, probably more popular, is the Chromio album that came out, I guess, a week or two. Everyone thinks they have the song of the summer. Why Chromio? It's so so lethargic. Which one? The Solange one? Oh, Solange is on one of the songs? I have no idea. Yeah, I, which I'm, I don't I don't know what, what the singles are, so I don't know what song you think is their song of the summer. <laughs> I don't even know. But uh, that that album is really good. I mean, I listened to the Daft Punk album a ton around this time last year, and it's kind of a similar vibe of like dancey and disco-y. And there are some really silly songs, and there's some really just good solid songs. And most of the Chromio songs I'd known before were kind of incredibly silly and jokey, and these have a little bit more heft to them and they are very fun. I mean, they're kind of whatever to watch live because they don't do a whole lot. They're just kind of stand up. Yeah. They, but they're super <laughs> fun to listen to. And I plan to, uh, if I had a car, I would be playing it out my car windows all summer. That's a good recommendation. That's all I got. David. See? Oh, wow. Uh, well, uh, I, I have a bunch. <laughs> um, damn you. I, I asked for two. Well, yeah. I think you bring too my, many. My, I have to give a shout out to. Uh, I'm biased, but one of, one of my good friends, I think, has a really good album this year that I that I really like, I've vetted thoroughly. Uh, her name is Caroline Polachek. She's the lead singer of a band called Chairlift, and she released a solo oh, album this year Chairlift. called Ramona Lisa, uh, and the album is called Arcadia, and I really really like it. Um, I would, I don't know, I would definitely. You're remiss for not recommending that based on the strength of the music alone. Uh, maybe my other favorite album of the year is by a band called Wild Beasts, uh, who I are a brand from the UK. Uh, they have two lead singers with very different and uh, very complimentary voices. Um, I'm, I'm not a music writer, as you can tell. I'm very bad at describing music, I think. <laughs> but uh, Wild Beasts are, are absolutely not even willing to really put in the, the effort uh, or, or work that muscle. But Wild Beasts are fantastic. Their new album is called... Uh, the last album is called Smother. Their new album is called Present Tense, I think. That's certainly the name of the lead single. Um, yeah, but that's, uh, that's a phenomenal album. Um, and what else did I want to give a shout-out to really quickly? Uh, How have you shit. not talked about St. Vincent? I don't understand. The St. Vincent album is yeah. good. It's not my favorite album of hers. I think it's a bit top-heavy. Um, and Ditto. The, the Sun Kill Moon album is really interesting, but I haven't really gotten to the right Jeff Wellesian mood pocket to enjoy that. Will there uh, be an episode <laughs> of this show where you don't bring up that mood? Uh, there must have that been man. a few. Um, there's one... Fuck, there's one like really important album that is on the tip of my tongue that I've been trying to... Look up since we started recording. And kid Bops. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the Kid, kid Bop. Kid Bops. Yeah, Kid Bops. <laughs> um, kid Bop. The Lily Allen album, Jesus, probably. Oh no, uh, no. Wait, you uh, might be whatever. stomping on Dave's territory here, so we yeah, should move fine. on. That's true. I hit up, I hit up Ramona Lisa. I hit up Wild Beasts. Uh, I feel okay about that. I'm not sure if Dave is going to stomp on my territory, but I might as well, let's find out. Uh, my first one is... See, the interesting thing about my choices is if I'm listening to something, it's going to pop up on the podcast. So I spoiled <laughs> you all last Tuesday with Michael Jackson's Escape, which I think is really interesting 
And the reason I included it in uh, last week's episode is because it is a new Michael Jackson album where they took his demos and gave them to like Timbaland and people and had them make them into like more modern sounding songs, which is really interesting in an era where that's what's happening to all our make a franchising movies. Um, but is also oh, way to tie it all together. I mean, that's why it's most interesting is because it's happening. Basically, the internet made everything diversify, and so now the, the only thing people know. Uh, will turn out for I love that, things that we already like. I love that duet he did with Nick Fury. That was my favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what's here. Uh, it's really interesting that it comes in a double album, which I would buy if you're at all interested in Michael Jackson slash Timbaland, who, after he left Missy Elliott, has been training for this, like, the remainder of his life. Um, because this double album also includes the original demos, so you could also hear what they sounded like before sort of the modern thing took it over i really enjoy it because i bought every michael jackson album since i was cognizant of him like the week it came out and his one wow his one problem uh especially with stuff like blood on the dance floor and history part two is um he doesn't know how to modernize didn't didn't know how to modernize his sound and so it's interesting to see somebody else give it a try i've been enjoying it it's like eight tracks it's short uh you could check it out uh the other one i want to recommend is a lot less easier to get into but i sort of use music to propel me through my day there has to be a lot of on pace walking and not slowing down in the mornings because i have to be a good new yorker and so um i've been using mess by liars which is uh, liars mm. is a band who i got into when i saw them live in london right as they're about to release drums not dead which i think they recorded in, like an old bomb shelter and uh, in berlin more- i think Correct, with more traditional means of recording. Uh, Mess is their foray into electronica, and it is really weird in the sense that I like like the first three tracks, pretty much hate every track under five minutes, and then the end sort of picks <laughs> uh, back up again. Mess is gross. I, while the Liar's previous album, uh, Wixu, <laughs> or however one yeah. would pronounce it, W-I-X-I-W, I think is... Uh, after Drums Not Dead, probably their best, and it's very understated and, and lovely, and I think uh, Mess is, as its title implies, kind of a mess. I mean, I think it's intentionally so. It always interests me when bands decide that they're going to do like their electronica prog album. I was interested in like rap metal and like Tool in the mid-90s, and what were those, if not metal trying to graft itself on to you know, sort of different genres, being it prog rock or rap. And so it's weird to see Liars, who, when I saw them, were basically screaming into reverb filters and looping drums all around to suddenly come out with this really electronic vision. It's interesting. I don't know if it's for everybody. Yeah, I mean, you, the, the thing about Liars is that they are going in a new direction and doing something new with every album, so that becomes... It's sort of... Uh, defangs that it's like a de facto compliment it's like oh they were trying something new and it's interesting it's like they're always trying something new it just sometimes <laughs> well, works better than others yeah, yeah. this uh, is something new that i like the beginning when you're just of, too innovative is... <laughs> yeah. i i remembered the thing i want to give a quick shout out to if i may um yeah. is the two things the sharon the new sharon van etten album uh which i think is called you are here is so good she's fantastic if you're anyone's familiar with her and the populist choice is uh future islands as we're made famous by I don't that get that. Uh, I don't get I don't really get that, that frenzy. That that, that <laughs> song, it's just that one well, song. That's all, that I mean, all the, the album is fine, but uh, that one song is amazing. It's really on that level. I mean, as uh, as is implied by the title of the album, it is all these little like self 
sustaining pearls of, of pop songwriting, and I think uh, they they it's it's I, definitely I a high point for them. Do not get that. Someone will have to explain at length sometime what that's all about. Let me give my last Jordan two because I, I have to it. wrap up here. Um, so my, my two albums for recommendation are completely different, I feel like, which is good. Um, one is The Gloaming by The Gloaming, and they are an <laughs> Irish music supergroup, I've been told, uh, comprised of Irish and American musicians. And the one guy, uh, I can't pronounce his name, Larla O'Lionard, is a Shawnos singer, this kind of old Gaelic style, uh, and they have two violinists. The, the youngest one plays a 10-stringed violin, apparently. And the pianist for the group is um, Thomas Bartlett, who I didn't realize after listening to The Gloaming uh, is, is Dove Man. Do you guys know Dove Man? Yeah. Um, an amazing mm-hmm. no. piano player, an amazing vocalist. He, he did this incredible cover album of all the songs in Footloose um, in this like really <laughs> fragile... It's That's an incredible album on its own, but this... The gloaming is earthly. It's kind of misty in that in that Irish way. It's getting back to the roots of Irish music while still being a little grungy. I think it would really attract people who love Grizzly Bear. Uh, it's it's just a, I, I'm always looking for music to work to uh, because I'm always working. I hope your other one isn't the Yan Tiersted album because I rec- listened to that in your recommendation. Yes, it is. It is. So oh my, my second God. my second it's album so is Yan Tiersen's <laughs> Infinity, which I really dig. Um, it's kind of like the disintegration loops meets polyphonic no, spree meets Sufjan Stevens. Hey, let me finish here. Drag William Basinski's name wow. to the mud. Please, please let me finish. Um, Jan Tiersen is the composer of Amelie, and he's done a lot of different types of albums in the past as as a performer and uh, uh, independent musician. And this is a very worldly album. It's kind of the spectrum of sounds and flavors. It opens with something that's very much like the Disintegration Loops and really opens up to capture a lot of, you know, multilingual lyrics and chants and kind of droplet sound effects. Uh, I I think when he starts singing or whatever vocalist he gets is very, like, Morrissey-like, and then all of a sudden it can kind of go into an Amelie riff. I love the hell out of it as just this big soundscape. And so that's called Infinity sound- by Jan It Kirsten. sounds like you're having a seizure. It. I loved it. Everyone has their own opinions. I hope you enjoyed some of these music <laughs> recommendations. And that's probably the last time we'll do that for a little while. So uh, tell us what <laughs> albums you guys like, because I'm also on the prowl for new music. Actually, if I could make a pitch here right at the end, I think we should loop back to this towards the end of July and make a pitch for the song of the summer. And people should definitely call into our voicemail about that. Their pick for song of the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'd be into that. Let's do it. Uh, so this week from Magnolia Pictures comes a movie called We Are the Best, a Swedish coming-of-age drama from director Lucas Mudison. Is that how you say his last name, David? I'm asking you because I figure you know, but neither of us probably do. The authority. Is it Let's not just pretend it's Moodyson. Yes. As a local hockey fan, I think that yeah. should give me some authority on how to pronounce. Yeah, exactly. Things, you watch the Olympics. Uh, or something. I think, unfortunately, Moodyson is my best guess. Fair enough. Uh, Lucas Moodyson directed an incredible movie. I think it was his debut film, "Fucking a Mall," also known in America as "Show Me Love." This kind of sweet 
lesbian romantic coming of age movie, which I adore. Uh, and I didn't actually realize he directed that film and this film when I watched We Are the Best. Uh, and we're quickly going to kind of micro review here at our mini segment because David and I have seen this film. The quick gist of it is it's about these two girls. I think they're about 12 or 13 years old. Um, and they're totally punk rock. You know, they're sporting mohawks and uh, kind of hippie clothes, whatever you might call that that look. Um, I, I wouldn't call them like really it's punked out goth. Like, that's yeah. an important detail. Yes, that's probably the most important it's detail. Ni- I believe it's 1982 <laughs> in this movie. And yeah, they're, they're liberating themselves and they're coming of age and everyone they go to school with and their parents, nobody gets them. No one gets them. Um, and I, I recently watched this movie amid amidst the conversation of, of hashtag yes all women. I couldn't be happier to see this movie telling young girls whatever they're into or whatever they want to do and or however they want to behave and whatever they want to stick their nose in and explore musically, creatively, whatever. Um, this movie is about these girls finding punk rock and figuring it out. They, they incorporate a third girl into the group who is this amazing classical musician and she cuts her hair and she loses her shit she's a godly girl you know her mother is uber christian and she just rebels in the simplest way possible musically and it's it's a very low-key movie um and these girls just go wild and they're the most adorable girls because they're really just 12 year olds having a good time and there's not a lot that happens um and i adored it and i wonder you know this gem movie is coming out soon i know gem was a very important show for young women uh, when it came out. Uh, but I can't imagine the gem movie being as inspiring as We Are the Best in terms of liberation for young people. David, what are you... Juliette Lewis is in it. Oh, yeah. So maybe, maybe that changes everything. Juliette Lewis. I love Juliette Lewis. You leave her alone. David, am I crazy David. here? Uh, no, you're not crazy. This is a phenomenal movie. It is, uh, you know, if, if anyone's ever seen Linda, 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 the Japanese film about high school girls who start a uh, rock band, this is very much like that. But with younger girls starting a punk band in school. And the one detail that Patch has sort of left off is that they are terrible, terrible musicians. And uh, except for the third girl who they, they have ambition to be good. Very musicians. gifted. No, but that's that's part of the fun and the charm. And it doesn't stop them from sort of asserting themselves and, and owning their personalities and becoming close friends in the process and the movie is just such a joy to watch it has such an infectious energy to it um, and it has some of even though it's in Swedish some of the most quotable dialogue uh, I have seen in a movie in a very long time uh, I really can't recommend it highly enough and if you're as Patches was alluding to if you're the kind of person as you know most people should be who are uh, it was seeking out roles for women movies that are about women and girls uh, in in strong portrayals of such, uh, and you ignore this film, then then you are uh, not helping. So go, go see We Are the Best if and where you can. Uh, I believe their song goes, hate the sports, hate the sports. And I'm, that's when they really won me over, because fuck the uh-huh. sports, hate the sports. <laughs> Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering down 
she was a blackhead beauty with big dark eyes. Um, so way back at Tribeca Film Festival, I got to see Kelly Reichert's Night Moves. Actually, Katie, you and I got to see Night Moves yeah. together. Um, a low-key little environmental thriller um, about Jesse Eisenberg and Dakota Fanning to um, environmentally conscious people. I think Jesse Eisenberg's... Eco-terror. Okay, eco-terror. I think that's how they're describing press notes. It seems pretty accurate. They're dipping their toes into eco-terrorism. I think at... Sure, dilettante In the beginning, Jesse Eisenberg is just kind of living on a, on a commune and living off the grid. But, you know, when uh, the local... Where do they live? Oregon? In Somewhere Oregon, yeah. Northwest. Um, their town puts in a dam in one of the lakes or rivers or whatever, and um, that really sets Jesse Eisenberg's character off. He wants to bomb it, and he rallies the troops to destroy this bridge and really become an eco-terrorist. Uh, and it's a pretty low-key thriller, but I was I walked out of the movie, I'm like, fuck the man. I really, I was angry. I'm like, what can you do? What can you do if someone builds a dam that is going to harm the environment? And and I, I feel so small sometimes when I watch a movie like this, when I watch a documentary, especially of the muck-raking variety. I saw another film at Tribeca called Virunga, a documentary about the Congo, uh, uh, National Park in the Congo facing that. Well, I should say that it allegedly, according to this documentary, a British uh, oil company called Soko is kind of moving, pulling strings in the background, allegedly to kind of weasel their way into this park in the Congo to drill for oil. And unfortunately, it's a reserve for gorillas. And in order to drill for that oil, all the gorillas have to be dead. Well, suddenly, all the gorillas start dying. So what do you do? And it just infuriated me. You got to see Virunga when it comes out. It will. Um, but this, compounded with night moves, I'm just like, ah, what do I do? I'm so insignificant. I'm so small. But I really want to do something. And I'm like, could I, I wouldn't do eco-terrorism, right? Like, that would never... I would never do that. So, I, 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 Night Moves is not changing my opinion. I, I mean, it's obviously a morally ambiguous movie. It do, you shouldn't be an eco-terrorist. Night Moves is not advocating that. But it is a, a movie like that. It, it makes you think about how far you would go to change the world. And opening it up here, I, I, I wonder how mo movies provoke you to the point if there are movies, and Virunga is actually... The documentary is the one that makes me want to like take action, but I feel insignificant, so I end up not doing it a lot. And I feel that way with a lot of movies, that they're pushing me to an edge to consider action being taken in some capacity, but feeling like I could never do it. And I think Night Moves, in a way, is about that. How far would you actually go to get something done? Or how much of what you want done is about the environment and your stated cause and how much of it is about yourself, which I think is also what Night Moves is sure. about. And also what kind of some of these, especially if it's stories about activist groups, I think that can be part of it. I mean, I think of any, even anything like The Cove, which is a, you know, a classic message documentary about uh, dolphin hunting in, uh, in Japan, that part of that movie is about the people who are doing it and who are getting involved in this heist and like how kind of cool it looks to be the people who are speaking into photographed dolphins being slaughtered. Which doesn't sound right when I describe it that way, um, but that is part of what uh, filmmaking becomes, especially documentary filmmaking. Is it's not so much it's not as much about the message as like the people who are presenting the message to you, as opposed to like reading a book about something that can maybe teach you more, but not have that kind of impact. Being like, who am I? How do I relate to these people? Which I think is what you felt watching these. 
I mean, yes, exactly. And so I, what I'm really curious about is is how far or how far you can be pushed by a movie. Night, Night Moves is not an example of something that's asking me to do something, but it reminds me of being asked by movies to do something. Like Veronica, like uh, here's another movie, um, Inside Job. In the documentary Inside Job about the collapse of Wall Street uh, basically ends with a damning statement narrated by Matt Damon saying, like, do something. Let's finally do something. Let's take action against these people. Uh, and I'm not saying that's the reason Occupy Wall Street grew into something. Um, but it certainly is, is a call to action. And a lot of muckraking documentaries end that way. And a lot of uh, socially conscious films you know, wonder if we can do something. Wonder if you, the viewer, perhaps, are doing enough. And I'm not sure if I've ever walked out of a film and actually taken action or changed my life in some way because of what they're advocating. Yeah, I don't know if I have either. I mean, I'm not really the, the best benchmark for that sort of thing. I feel like I'm kind of an inactive person. Um, I'm better at, uh, at maybe spreading a message than I am in enacting change in any meaningful way. But uh, I, I think, um, you know, I think of like Michael Moore, who, who has a interesting reputation um you know I, I think both of his movies sort of galvanized opinions that i had going into them uh you know fahrenheit 9-11 it wasn't as if i was going to vote for bush before i saw fahrenheit bowling for columbine but, i think is the better but no bowling for, for columbine much much more so um and, and I, you know i think is a is a much better film uh with a much uh more urgent to this day uh sadly a, a much more urgent argument i mean that really fired me up and um and continues to stick with me, but um, other than really sort of, as I said, galvanize my my thoughts about um, you know issues related to gun control. I, it's not as if I left the theater and immediately began you know ride, picketing on the streets and and you know because I feel I genuinely feel for the most part that a lot of these American issues in particular are uh, are are just too big. I mean, it's it's it it's feels. Uh, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I, I think it's definitely also a reflection of how things are in this country. That um, you know, it's like if I if if I see so many school shootings and so many mass murders with guns, and our country does fuck all about it, um, then how can I, as one person, actually you know affect any change? Well, that's why uh, I think Night Moves really struck me because I'm like, you're right, fuck the man. Like, what are you going to do about the the environmental troubles of? of your world and and the man who is so much bigger than you do you have to resort to this and it was a scary thing for me to think about um because i you know night moves definitely gets into some scary territory because of the actions they take uh which would stray you away from ever doing something like that but it certainly lingers with me to be like how do you fight back and is it is it pointless for these movies to really be calls of action to kind of put it on you like that? Is it does it make people less active? Does it make people more active? I'm not sure the responsibility that the documentaries sometimes, you know, put on our lap works as effectively as I, I don't know what the other tactic is, but um, well, I often feel so insignificant a, next to these as films. a non-documentary film, as a narrative you know, film, as they call them. Uh, Night Moves is in part explicitly about this sort of hazy middle ground is between action and inaction and, uh, you know, how do you reconcile your ideals with your actions? Um, I mean, I think that's, that's part of what the movie's about. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of lesser documentaries especially sort of take the tack that, uh, you know, by ramming this stuff down your throat in the least cinematic way possible, they will somehow 
affect change. And I think for every movie that does that with a small, simple issue like um, uh, the fucking SeaWorld movie. Blackfish? Yeah. Um, you know, which... Uh, Blackfish you know, enacted lot- change. It actually made yeah, exactly. some movement on it that did. front. That's, that's, that's exactly what I said. It's, uh, it, you, know, um, you know, you have a small issue like that. It's easy to pressure one company into, you know, comparatively easy to pressure one company into uh, behaving slightly more humanely, especially when the bar was that low. Um, but you know, it's wait, uh, wait. Your criticism of Blackfish is it's too easy. <laughs> it's too easy to take down. No, it's not my Try criticism of Blackfish. I'm just saying that uh, you know, I think a lot of the documentaries, uh, particularly the the ones that are not especially well made, like Blackfish, uh, you know, they ram these arguments down your throat. They're very simple screeds, and you know, in the case of Blackfish, it can be seen as effective because uh, it's such a simple issue but the um, you know uh, that's not often the case hmm so okay so here's how I divide it up is that art can only make you think and once it actually moves you to action by itself it's not art at all it's a parasitoid that has implanted you with an idea much like advertising yeah so it's like if you Matt Patches see night moves and then want to go blow that up one, uh, that is not dam. the case that is not what night right. moves is exactly about. which it, that's a stupid argument like violent movies cause columbine exactly no i mean that's exactly where you know we have to make sure that this doesn't head is that the idea the films the art the it can never be seen as responsible they always have to be filtered through you they can they can help excite ideas or deliver ideas that you then have to interpret uh, your own sure. way but you know as far as you know has any has any film ever really sort of uh, has any certainly has any documentary that I can remember seeing ever changed my mind in that way? I think the most effective ones are a lot more subtle than that. I think you know watching Hoop Dreams when I was ten really helped me understand that growing up in uh, you know relatively posh environment in in Eastern side of America was not representative of how every kid was growing up in the country. Um, yes. you know there's nothing I could do about that in the in you know at the moment. Um, at that time, but it definitely planted a very strong seed. Um, so I think those, at least in my experience, have been a lot more effective than documentaries to get you to, you know, the, the ones that end by saying, go to this website if you want to affect change. Yeah. And you go yeah. and like, well, give Because they can change, they can kind of, there's nuts of things that you see in a documentary where you re- you remember something that, that sticks with you, something like in Hoop Dreams or, you know, anything that kind of gives you that different way of seeing how the world is working. And this isn't movies, so it's not relevant, but I think of this American Life stories that I've listened to over the years that kind of, like, have a story of one person's experience that sticks with me over and over again and just it makes you a, a better rounded person and more likely to do good but things even if it's there's not room specific. for these oh, depending on what topic there's room for these urgent uh, for the, documentaries right the, the, no I mean, no uh, i i just watched um fed up the uh oh yeah that one you like that one a lot right yes uh, well i'm i'm more interested about how the ripple effect uh so this film directed by uh stephanie so I have no idea. I can't pronounce anyone's name if that's not uh, obvious by now. But produced by Katie Couric and the people who did, um, oh, my God, Al Gore's documentary. Uh, yep. I mean, advertising. Yes, it's convenient. already advertising. It doesn't, so, you don't need to keep going. That's advertising. You just were advertised to. Those producers, that's like CNN, you know, crime of the century murder shows trying to pretend to be documentaries. They're not they're advertising they're advertising for a very specific idea that you know you should feel this way about that you know or in the cases of specifically cnn crime of the century we're supposed to look back and either you know applaud the police or 
jeer the media for turning on people in that sort of Interesting. way. Interesting, but not all advertising is as devious as. I mean, Jim Henson is an advertiser, and the Muppets are an advertising tool, and they always have been. So for education, so I can't really right, fault all but, fronts of ad, but, uh, advertising. But what I wanted to I say mean, about what, Fed Up, <laughs> it might be produced by Katie Kirk, but it is certainly about a, a real threat, which is the sugar intake of America and the lack of awareness that the government provides to that threat and you know the, the steps that the government might be taking. They're not taking those steps. Even Michelle Obama, when she advocates knocking calories out of your diet, it doesn't matter. Studies show that it's all about sugar and sugar, sugar is a chronic well, you know, drug and you're fat on the inside even if you think you're thin on the outside because of the sugar that you eat. And holy shit, I mean, it's an, it's, a, it's an atomic bomb on the way that you shop for groceries and the way you eat. And certainly rattled me. Now, I'm not saying every fact is, is you know, presented with all of the additional facts you might need to really make wise decisions and to have a fully thought uh, idea on, on the argument it's, it's uh... presenting. But it's certainly rattling your ideology it's... on consumption and yeah, I think that all uh, these films uh, need to just be invitations towards deeper thought. I think historically, if you look at the last, you know, certainly the last 100 years um, and, and since the you know, invention of, of moving images and whatnot, there is n- very few things more dangerous than people accepting uh, the the propaganda that they see as fact and embracing that. I mean, you can see it in uh, uh, you know communist era countries and uh, everything else. Uh, you know, you, look at the, you know, you don't have to look any further than uh, the Nazi propaganda films. I mean, these are things that uh, these things need to be nothing more than. I think it's actually just to go back to the very kernel of this entire discussion that it it's it would be bad for a documentary to galvanize the kind of change that you're talking about. But um, but fed up without ends- without. I think it's better if it's an invitation right. to consider well, after after it's set up uh, makes its case about sugar intake and the food that you eat that you buy from the grocery store. Its simple message at the end is cook, cook food, and it, it says if you want more information, go to our website. But at the end of the day, it's cook food. So do you walk away from that documentary actually cooking food and changing your life? What 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 doesn't feel uh, nefarious in some advertising way like Dave's describing? And what would actually change your life because you want these films to do that in some way when do we not feel deceived or uh, i i want to have that insight from a film where i'm not second guessing it right well i mean bringing this up in the episode that you also talked about punk rock for the swedish i mean what people don't want is to sound like i watch this movie therefore i think this way now because if that movies worked that way everybody would watch the same five movies in kindergarten and we'd all grow up to be beautiful people but from a more poetic standpoint, because I know that really resonates with you, Patches, these movies are like silt on the bottom of your river. And they can't, a single one can't, you know, breach the surface of your river and cause action. But slowly they're going to build up as you move through your life. These subjects that actually activate you are going to build up all this source material that you're going to be able to use when you decide to be activated. Mm-hmm. And so each one of these movies is a contributing part can be discarded and can be the invitation one that actually breaks the surface it's just different for all these people because it's building up on life experience these movies are like silt on the bottom of your river maybe the most poetic thing ever said on this podcast boom it's true it's a poem uh, you like but silt not like all silt of these patches? documentaries that i'm talking about are about personal change or necessarily have that call to action i'm thinking 
uh, Call Me Kuchu, a film many of us loved. It's exposing something horrible. It's saying, how do we fix this? And what do we do? Like, do you... Or even Virunga, this film I was talking about earlier, um, it ends with, you know, how do we save this park? Well, I, I honestly felt like, oh, maybe I should go give a donation. And I actually did it. And I was very proud of myself. I went to the Virunga <laughs> National Park website and I gave a, just a small donation because I'm like, I want to do something because this is very clear. Right. I don't feel like I'm So that cooked. you could talk about it on your podcast. I mean, well, okay, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to good Months, months after doing it, I guess that's true. But this was incited by Patches and Colton Burpo hanging out in heaven. <laughs> so what, when... What pushes you? I mean, it's not just silt because there's more direct things. There's, there's more engaging. No, no, films. no. This isn't just life experience that we're gathering from all films. Right. Some are trying to tell you something that you need to address immediately. You saw a piece of advertising that got your money immediately after you did it. If you were a different type of person that saw that movie and you know were waiting to do some sort of Greenpeace project in the Congo and suddenly you had it, then you'd be somebody that was activated by that movie. Otherwise, you're just part of the groundswell. And I don't want to say that's bad because movements need groundswells. But it's like when the podcasting documentary comes out, then you, Matt Patches, if that movie motivates you, have an actual action point because your life's at the point. Like I would never participate in the podcast documentary. Okay, fair enough. But I'm directing the podcast. American podcaster. <laughs> in, a, in a life sort of way, we could feel the true pain of narratives because it's, you know, brief and it's focused and it, it comes in a way we could recognize the beginning, middle and end, or at least a beginning, middle and then a question about how things are going to go forward. If we suddenly go about life letting all of life's pain into us, we will become non-functional human beings. So it's very important to see what motivates you well as a well-made documentary or a well-made movie or something that's driving you to a point. And if that's a point where you can take action, then you should. But if it's not, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go out and give 10% of your income to, you know, the newest documentary you saw just because it made a really good case for it. Just, just to wrap up here, um, talking about the silt at the bottom of life's river, whatever that yes. metaphor is. Uh, are, are there films that you can recall that may have, similar to David talking about Bowling for Columbine, these things that have kind of pushed your own ideas forward or may have planted seeds that you see continuing to grow today that you, you look back at that film and say, yes, that, that made a big enough impact on me that my worldview about something perhaps has changed or at least solidified in a, in a more poignant way or a more important way. Ooh, I want to go last. I think I think I have one. I was trying to come up with films earlier today, and I feel like Vera Drake may have been one. You know where? Oh, so we're not just talking about documentaries? No, now. definitely not. I mean, I sh we should have okay. been not talking about just documentaries all the time, but uh, who cares? Um, I think Vera Drake for me solidified an idea, definitely. Where you're like, well, abortion and blah blah blah, and yeah, no, I, I have a serious thought about it, but it's not something I've encountered, or it's not something that I'm. You know, do whatever you want one way or another. I, I, I'm away from this issue, perhaps. No, now it's definitely something that I, I everyone should be able to get abortions. And Vera Drake, for some, for some reason, kicked me in the ass on that issue. Hmm. I think because it was older and because, yes, this is a lifelong issue that everyone is involved in, no matter what gender, no matter where or when you come from. This is something that matters to everyone, and we should always be aware of it. 
I think, I mean, I, I don't want to go back to Bowling for Columbine again because we already talked about it, but I think that definitely had, like, not that I was a gun nut before then, but that the the sense of fear attached with guns for me, the idea that, like, in no way do I believe that more people having guns will ever make a safer period, and luckily the data backs that up. I think Bowling for Columbine made a pretty fascinating argument about that specifically and about kind of contrasting America and Canada and kind of just showing you the terror that it breeds in people to have a more heavily armed society um that i think is just like one very specific part of my feelings about guns that probably comes directly back from that Um, i feel like david's not going to speak up on this one well i you know i'm pulling for columbine that's my uh no one's gonna want to hear this i feel like if i thought about it more i could come up with a different answer maybe i'll maybe next week i'll check back with you yeah mine's horrible but um, a Serbian film in 2011 oh uh, through a extended uh, s- sequence of horrible events involving rape and murder uh, made me understand the Bosnian War if from the perspective of the people who lived through it much better than say in the land of blood and honey that came out the same year directed by Angelina Jolie and took a more cinematic route to it because it was a movie that went directly for the gut and brought this whole they the government here rapes you from birth to death very literally and drilled it into my subconscious so i'll never think about the bosnian war in the same but way again. do you think a serbian film has impacted your point of view on on things happening now or possibly ahead of you yes uh definitely at what point it's important for foreign countries to get involved in genocides, but that has nothing to do with the Serbian film. That has entirely to do with the, how a Serbian film influenced my memories of the Clinton administration. Damn. We should have a 90s Clinton administration t- political topics podcast. He, he sh- Clinton shows up in Fed Up to apologize for his administration's stance for eating Big on Macs. shitty food in school cafeterias. So we he, should have a podcast I am called. So sorry. Dead on. Our podcast Dead on. The, <laughs> oh, that is good. It should be called the, the <laughs> silt at the bottom of life's river, guys. Bill Clinton is the soldier man. Yes. She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back on Friday to review Maleficent. Speaking of Angelina Jolie and horns, we were probably talking were, about horns at some point. Were we right? speaking of either of those things? I guess so. We were talking about Angelina Jolie and, and, and the Land of Blood and Honey. Oh, right, yes, yes. Were. Praising a Serbian film. Yes, we were. Or, yeah. So we'll see how she does. Where I said Disney villainous. Anyway, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am a patches writer of the internet. I'm writing all over the place and put it all on mattpatches.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And uh, remember, if you want to contribute, throw some comments out there, some reactions, some questions. Um, the best place to do it is our website, findinginthewardroom.com. We post all the episodes. They each have their own little show page. They have comments sections and tweet buttons and all that nonsense. And you can do it, again, all at findinginthewardroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a Rangers fan who you can find writing about movies on the Internet when I'm not obsessing about our run to the Stanley Cup. Uh, you can find my writing on The Dissolve. 
and on uh, the AV Club and uh, somewhere new that I'm not sure I can announce quite yet, but soon. What a tease. Oh, you can find all of us uh, together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room, where you should write things on our wall. We'll write back. Hey, I'm Dave with the Seven. I'm going to forgo my plugs this week to tell you some exciting things. First of all, call us at 914-410-6450 to tell us your pick for Song of the Summer. We are going to get to them and any leftover Nick Cage impressions we have later on. Go to fightingintheworldroom.com slash XXV. That is the Roman numeral for 25. Next week is our quarter quell. It's a very special episode. We will be criticizing our own films. If you go to that page, you will be able to see my film, Little Dude, right now. And I will be adding others as the week goes on. Next Tuesday, it's going to drop. You're going to want to have seen them by then. So go check it out right now. Thank you. Oh, it's me. Crap. Um, This is a preview of how we're not going to be talking about my film next week, but we'll be talking about something else, which would be exciting. Also, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also find the entire podcast on Twitter where you can harass me about not having my student films or other things at F-I-T-W-R. That's Fitwer. And there you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... Inspired by How to Die in the West, what's a comedy that you're surprised slash embarrassed to admit you find funny? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Strange how the night moves With autumn closing in